Well, good morning. Good to see you all here, Camaray. Uh, yeah, John 17, I have an outline on the back, uh, and I appreciate that uh, Mike alluded to the fact that this passage is difficult because, yes, I found it very hard to prepare this passage. Um, but I do hope, I, I'm confident that God will help us this morning. Uh, he is the God who wants to make himself known. But I suppose as I was preparing this, I, was, I started thinking about big moments in life. If you had to kind of chart a timeline of big moments in your life, what they might include. Uh, maybe you, you could stay, you know, starting school and finishing school, uh, moving to a new country, starting uni uh, in the current generation, changing degrees, seems to happen quite often, um, getting your first job, starting a relationship, ending a relationship, a loved one passing away, getting a new job, getting married, having a child, buying a home, retiring. There's all these big moments in life. And if you've been part of a Christian fellowship, uh, often these are the sorts of moments you share with other believers. And at those moments, uh, often you pray. Uh, big moments, big prayers. Uh, we often ask God for wisdom. We ask for courage. We ask for comfort. We ask for help. Uh, big moments and big prayers. And I kind of wonder if our prayers in those big moments also reveal a little bit about what our big concerns are. Uh, as we pray, we kind of find out if our concerns are us-focused, you know, for our life to be better, or if our concerns are God-focused, for God's work to be done. You know, big moments, big prayers, big concerns. Now, I think this pattern is sort of true in God's story too. Uh, throughout salvation history, uh, there are often big moments with big prayers. Uh, God's people especially God's kings and prophets, uh, call on the name of the Lord. And, and they call on the name of the Lord, they pray at high points, uh, like, you know, after the temple has been built, they pray. Uh, after promises have been given, there's prayer. At low points, at exile, they pray. And in all these moments, we see what their big concerns are. And today in John 17, it is the biggest moment in history so far. And what does Jesus the King do? He prays. And I think as we read this prayer, at the very least, we learn what his big concerns are. We are in the last a few chapters. Uh, Jesus has been teaching his disciples before he goes to die and then to be with the Father. Uh, and really, I think it's been clear he's been preparing them not only for these next few painful days, but for a life of discipleship once Jesus goes to be with the Father. And as a church family, I don't know when we started this particular section, it was the beginning of term four, but it's been good, hasn't it? Uh, it's been good hearing Jesus teach his disciples. Uh, he's encouraged them to love with a big sacrificial love. He's called them to trust him in their troubles. He's urged them to remain in him, the true vine, by loving obedience. He's spurred them on in God's mission to see the world saved by the news that the Spirit will come. And he's comforted them last week with the joy of his resurrection. But importantly for today, he's invited them over the last few weeks, or a few chapters in John, to pray with confidence because he will do whatever they ask in his name. Now, I reckon that those little verses, they've, they've raised a few questions. It sounds like Locke might have approached some of them last week. But one of the things that I've noticed as you consider that, you know, pray and he'll do whatever he asks in his name. When Jesus invites them to do that, it's very often connected with his work in the world, uh, for belief, for fruit, uh, for all sorts of things like that. And so now, just before Jesus' death and resurrection, he puts his own words into practice. 
Uh, like prophets and kings that came before him, like they've done at key moments in history, he prays. And he really does pray for God's work. And so the first thing we can learn today is to know what God's work is. Uh, in verse 2, uh, Jesus says, The hour has come. Uh, the hour, we've been speaking a lot about that as well. It's been approaching throughout John's Gospel. The reader of John, you know, read the whole way through, you know, sitting on the edge of their seat, waiting for this hour to finally come. And along the way, we get hints of what this hour is. It has to do with glory, which sounds all right. Uh, but last week, in our previous chapter, the hour was connected to suffering. Uh, the hour was compared to the pain of childbirth. The hour was a time when the disciples will scatter. Uh, the hour, glory and suffering. But with this kind of suffering at hand, uh, what do you expect the prayers to be? Save me from this hour? Well, that's what my prayer would be. But Jesus, his prayer is different. He prays for God's work. And first he prays for glory. And glory is one of God's greatest concerns. It comes up a number of times uh, in these last few chapters. If you're listening closely, you would have seen that glory is a big theme of Jesus' prayer. And while that word glory is used in different ways, almost always glory is connected with making God known, of seeing who God truly is. And so as this hour comes, this troubling hour, Jesus does not pray for an easing of pain. He prays that he would be glorified so that God would be glorified. He prays that God would be seen for who he truly is. Uh, Jesus has always been concerned with glory, past, present, future. Uh, in verse 4, he kind of looks back to his works and even to the cross. And then in verse 5, looks forward to the future, where Jesus ascends into heaven to be in God's presence. Past, present, future, Jesus is concerned with his glory and his Father's glory. The question is, why? Why? Uh, because glory is connected with God's work. And again, you know, if we put a lot of John together, uh, we might be able to summarise what John, God's work is. Uh, here's a, a really wordy way of putting it, and then I'll try and sum it up. I think we could say God's work, God's work in Jesus, is to make himself known so that people believe in him and the one he sent and so have life in his name. It's a bit of a mouthful. My summarised version is, Jesus' work is to make God known in order to give life. To make God known in order to give life. And that work is right in the middle of Jesus' prayer for himself. Verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. God's work of giving life is right there, centre of Jesus' prayer. But there is a bit of a surprise here. Eternal life is not a future event. Eternal life is not sitting in the clouds, sipping champagne. Eternal life isn't even pictured here as the new heavens and earth, uh, where there is no sadness, sin or suffering. Eternal life here is knowing God as the only true God and his son whom he sent. And this kind of knowing is what God's people have been waiting for. Uh, for so long, God's people have gone astray because they did not truly know God. They knew his rules, his law, they knew his temple, they knew his festivals, but they did not know him. And the further they went from knowing him, the further they ran towards their own death and demise. And so eternal life hinges on a true knowledge of God, not an intellectual knowledge, 
not a religious knowledge, a personal knowledge. This is why Jesus was sent. I mean, can you see how, you know, this prayer of Jesus is very connected to God's work? He prays for glory, which is a prayer that people would know who God truly is, and this knowing is eternal life. At this terrible, troubling hour, Jesus prays for God's work to be done, for God to be known, and for life to be given. And then he prays for his disciples, which is the next section, verse 6 to 19. And in this we can be confident in the disciples' work. One of the things I've really loved about doing and reading John at church has just been how many questions have been raised. One question which has been repeatedly asked is how do we connect what Jesus taught the disciples to us? And that's a really good question. It's really easy to skip from Jesus' words straight to us in 2021. And in this section, you can really see Jesus' prayer is very much for his disciples. Uh, this, this group of disciples were his special group, chosen by God for a special task. Uh, in chapter 15, they were chosen and appointed by God to go and bear fruit. In chapter 16, uh, this same group was to testify about Jesus. See, this special group had the job of making God known uh, so that people might have life. Now, what sort of qualifications would you like this group to have? What would, you help, what would help you trust them and their message? Well, we already know they were with Jesus from the beginning. That helps me trust them. They didn't just jump on the bandwagon. They didn't just join the crowd at the last minute and yell out Hosanna. They were there from the beginning. That's good. And now as Jesus prays for them, he says, verse 7, they've kept God's word. And verse 8, they've received God's word. They've come to know the truth that Jesus is from God. This group has true knowledge of God. They have eternal life. They are the most qualified workers to continue God's work because they know God. And so now Jesus prays for their work and his prayer focuses on them knowing God. Uh, He prays in verse 11, keep them in your name. Names, uh, names are really important. I was going to play a game with you, but I thought it would be too deadly, like just to throw out a few names and hear your first thoughts. Um, but you know, you hear a name, you think of maybe what they look like, or you think of what they are like. Uh, names are these kind of doorways into relationships, and a name is often connected to the character of a person. We had a great conversation at Bible study on Wednesday. There was one school teacher saying, I would never name my child, I won't say the name, uh, because it just brings up too many bad memories. But God's name is a a little bit like that. When we think of his name, we might not think of a literal name like Yahweh, but we think of what he's like, uh, what he's done. His name ends up being like his glory. It has to do with him being known. And Jesus prays, keep them, the disciples, keep them in your name, which you have given me. He's praying they might be kept and guarded in truly knowing who God is that they may always know who God is through Jesus, which, verse 12, is what Jesus has done for them while he was with them. Jesus has kept them in God's name. He has continually shown them who God is by his words and his actions. He prays that they will be kept in God's name because if they are to do the work of making God known so that people have life, they need to know who God truly is in Jesus. This is their most important qualification. And I think he prays in this way, like, keep and guard and in in my name, because he knows the power of the world. 
You know, as you read that, did you see how many times Jesus kind of makes reference to that? Uh, that they're not of the world, that the world will hate them. And so in this kind of time where they will be vulnerable, he prays, keep them, keep them in your name. Keep them truly knowing me uh, through you. And this kind of theme of, you know, staying in, of keeping, is also in verse 17 when he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth again is another kind of knowing word. Uh, And truth will be important in their work of making God known. Uh, One of the world's uh, most powerful weapons is lies. Uh, They aren't your everyday white lies. They aren't the kind of lies you can easily discern at times. And they're lies which are pretty tempting to believe. I wonder if for these early, early Jewish believers, if it would have been really tempting to believe the lie that the way to the Father was not exclusively through Jesus. I wonder if it would have been tempting to believe the lie that Jesus was not the way, the truth, and the life. I wonder if it would have been tempting to go back to what their Jewish leaders would have been promoting. You know, go back to your old Jewish ways. But Jesus prays to them, sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, We often connect that word sanctify with the idea of being made more holy or made more godly. The word sanctify really means to be set apart. And I think what he's praying here is rather than being part of this world and its lies, he prays that they might be set apart in the truth, that the truth will govern them, that the truth will guide their actions and their testimony and their teaching. Not lies, but keep them, set them apart in truth. See, Jesus prays for his disciples to be kept in God's name and to be set apart in truth. And, I, you know, there's not too many times, I think this is right, when we actually hear Jesus pray. Not in John, there's a few little snippets here and there. Often we know that he goes off by himself and prays. So the question is, why did Jesus want his disciples to hear this? And I think in part, he wants them to know what their work is. Just like his work to be, was to be glorified so that people will know and have eternal life, he prays for them. You know, be, keep, he wants them to keep in his name, you know, keep knowing who God is in Jesus. He wants them to keep in the truth so they truly know him, so that they can help others have eternal life. He wants them to know what the big concern is. You've got to know me so you can help, help others know me. But why did John include this for you and I? You know, that's another good question. And I think it actually probably hooks into the whole purpose of John, so that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life. Not just to believe, but actually to have confidence in what we believe. Uh, To give you confidence that the word that you've received is trustworthy. The disciples were uniquely qualified. Jesus prayed that they would truly know and stay knowing who God is in him. And it's their words that have been passed on to you. One of the greatest stumbling blocks for belief, and I've seen this countless times, uh, is when people lose confidence in God's word. Uh, The number of times I've seen people kind of just kind of walk away from Jesus, it's really because of that foundational truth is kind of pulled undone. And it makes sense, because if eternal life is knowledge of God, if you take away the confidence of knowing, then what happens to life? 
But this prayer is recorded, at least in part, so that you and I might be confident in these words. And then if you believe these words, you have life, eternal life. And this last prayer of Jesus is for you. Last bit, verse 20 to 26, B1. I remember the first time I read these words and I was totally blown away. I was like, whoa, this is the coolest thing in the world. Jesus, the king of the universe, prays for me and I can read his prayer. I was like, that's really cool. Uh, But then later in my Christian life, and this kind of stunned me even more, is that Jesus didn't just pray this one prayer for believers, but Jesus is constantly praying on our behalf. Uh, Even right now, Jesus prays for you. He stands before the throne of grace and he represents us. He mediates for us. That is wild. Uh, even, uh, particularly this is good news on those days or weeks when you may feel a bit dry in prayer and you just don't really want to pray. I'm always really thankful to know that Jesus is always praying. That is good news. But even so, John 17 is still great because Jesus prays for us and, he, and we can read what he would pray for us what he did pray for us. And you might not be surprised because I think this theme is quite consistent, but he prays for God's work in the world through us. He prayed through the church, verse 21 and 23, that the world would believe that God sent him. Jesus is constantly praying for God's work in the world. First, he prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And now he prays for those who would believe. But... When you get to this last bit, you notice that Jesus' prayer for those who would believe is different to the disciples. Uh, Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they may also be in us. And then a similar sentiment is repeated in verse 23, that they may be one, even as we are one. I mean, is that the sort of prayer that you expected from Jesus, if you were to continue the work of Jesus? Uh, not particularly what I was thinking. Uh, one way of understanding this idea of being one is that Jesus is praying for a relational unity. Uh, just like the Father and the Son are in this beautiful fellowship, Jesus prays for us to have the same rich fellowship with each other. And you can kind of understand how that would be a testimony to the world. You know, as people of different ages, of diff- from different nations, of different interests, as we come together united in Christ, that is remarkable. As diverse people unite under Jesus and love one another, it shows you the significance of Jesus Christ, the one who is able to unite different people together. You know, I think that's right. It is a great thing when we gather united. But I kind of want to take it one step further, because in John, the father and son being one often has to do with purpose. You think it, the father appoints, the son acts, the father sends, the son goes. The father speaks to the son. The son speaks to his sheep. The father gives authority. The son uses the authority to give life. They kind of one in purpose and in action. Now you might go, oh yeah, sure, that, that makes a bit of sense. But then what about that in me and in you language? That sounds like a more profound sort of unity. But I, I, I don't know. I think when you read the in me and in you language, particularly in previous chapters, is quite often connected to loving obedience. Remember how we are to remain in him, remain by obeying. So maybe this oneness that Jesus prays for is not simply being united, but they would be, all of us would be united, be one 
in submitting to God in loving obedience, that all of us would be one in purpose. That's something cool to imagine. Not just all of us together, but all of us in loving obedience to God, all of us loving as Christ loved us, all of us united in purpose. That kind of loving obedience will be very different from the world. It'll stand out. It'll lead people to believe that Jesus was sent from God, that he is the Christ. I kind of wonder where being united in loving obedience fits with our evangelistic strategy. Uh, When I think evangelism, I often think of lots of little events, like our sourdough-making night. I think of individuals going out and having conversations. But there is something in this. Jesus prays that we would be one. It pushes us to see that God's work is not only done by individuals going out, but as we are united together, submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus' prayer for us kind of raises the stakes of what's going on right now. This gathering is not just about us. Jesus expects a world to be watching on and for our lives to be so different that the end result would be the world believing that Jesus has been sent from God. I did find this passage a fairly tricky one to prepare. I kind of struggled a bit knowing why it was here, and it's not like the Lord's Prayer. It's not like after this sermon, we're just going to repeat these words. Uh, uh, And it's not really the sort of prayer that we can just repeat ourselves, even in maybe our own quiet times. But there is one thing which I found helpful and is true. This prayer is consistent with how prophets and kings have prayed throughout God's history. They constantly were praying for God to do what he promised and for God to be at work in the world. And now Jesus, as the kind of ultimate prophet and king, he does the same at this moment before his death and resurrection. And so I wonder if it's just a good way of thinking how we can pray too. In big moments, we will have big prayers. But how about we pray for Jesus' big concerns? Uh, That at every moment in our life, God would work to make himself known in Jesus so that people would have life in his name. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have uh, the gift and the privilege of being able to pray. And we pray that in our big moments in life, that our prayers would be focused towards you and your work. Uh, Please, we pray that Jesus would be known and that people will have life. We pray this in his name. Amen.